0: Please turn in your Bibles if you have them or perhaps your smartphones to Isaiah chapter 35. Uh, We will be going through this wonderful passage this morning. Uh, Other verses that I may quote uh, will be up on the screen behind me, I assume. Um, But we will be going through this section of Isaiah, a wonderful passage it is indeed. This prophecy was written 700 years before Christ. Isaiah lived in dark and threatening days. He lived through the Assyrian invasion of his nation and God revealed an even more devastating invasion to come. A hundred years after Isaiah, the Babylonians would come and destroy Jerusalem and the temple. They would drag the Jews off into captivity and many chapters in the first part of Isaiah are warnings filled with doom, gloom, misery and despair. But they're lightened from time to time with glorious promises and this is one of those. It predicts the joyful return of God's people back to Jerusalem or to Zion, as it is often called. Follow along as I read. The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the arable will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not, behold your God will come with vengeance and the recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the Araba. The scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals is its resting place. Grass becomes wheat, reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the Highway of Holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. As we see in the last verse, Isaiah 35 is a chapter about marching joyfully to Zion. Some of you may recall the chorus of an old gospel song. We're marching to Zion beautiful, beautiful Zion We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. How many of you have heard that? No? A few? Okay. I grew up with a whole different song list, you know. And every church we've uh, gone to, uh, uh, we've learned new songs and we've learned some wonderful ones here. Um, Isaiah 35 uh, speaks about Jerusalem and Zion. Originally, Zion was the hill on which King David located his fortress and his palace. As Jerusalem grew, Zion became a poetic title for the whole city. Now the New Testament picks up both the word Jerusalem and the word Zion and uses them for the heavenly city where we are headed. Hebrews 12, for example, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Now, Isaiah 35 is a poem, even though it doesn't rhyme. In exalted language, Isaiah describes how God rescues his people and brings them back to Zion people who are hopeless and helpless and scattered. And under the inspiration of God's Spirit, Isaiah looks down through all of the centuries and times and all the ways in which God brings his people back and he compresses them all together in one beautiful poem. In a very limited way, the Jews fulfilled this prophecy 500 years before Christ When they came back from 70 years of captivity in distant Babylon. They rebuilt the temple and the city. They restored the overgrown fields to fruitfulness. But the prophecy goes far beyond that fragile Jewish state that struggled to exist under Persian and Greek and Roman domination. Isaiah's vision includes the whole church age during which God is bringing lost men and women from every nation into his kingdom and making them citizens of a heavenly city. The passage will find a more literal fulfillment when Christ comes again to set up his kingdom. But sorrow and sighing will not flee away until all of God's children enter the new Jerusalem as we see in the last uh, two chapters of God's Word, the Bible. Now, Isaiah 34, the chapter before the one I read, describes a desert inhabited by wild creatures. And in Isaiah 35, we see that God changes our deserts into a garden. For some of us, the times in which we live already, right now, feel like a desert. Our political union is shaken and we may wonder sometimes if it can long endure. COVID is ravaging our nation, not only ours, but all the nations, and it has come with fresh force to Watauga County. We wonder how will that affect our schools, our school children? How will it affect our elderly? How will it affect our hospital staff? Will they become overburdened? And With all of those things, Some of you probably are going through your own personal deserts, your own dry and difficult times. And it may not seem like a good time to sing a bouncy chorus about marching to Zion. But if your pathway towards the heavenly Zion seems like a desert, this passage offers strong consolation. So take courage. That's what it wants you to do. That's what God wants you to do through this passage. You have first of all a holistic healer. Now holistic uh, medicine is medicine that addresses the body, the emotions, the mind, the spirit. Uh, it's, It's a package and it is supposed to bring all aspects of health into a unified whole. Jesus Christ is the ultimate holistic healer because he cures diseases of the body and of the soul at the same time as we see in our text here. He says in verse 3, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. The Hebrew phrase translated exhausted pictures a man whose hands are hanging limp, loose at his side. He doesn't have enough strength to lift them up. Strengthen the feeble The Hebrew picture there is of a man whose knees are shaking with fatigue. He can hardly stand. He can't walk. He can't keep up with the rest who are marching cheerfully to Zion. He can hardly crawl. And then verse 4, the first part. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. The anxious heart is literally a hurried heart. We would say it's a racing heart. Uh, This man can feel his heart pounding rapidly in his chest. He's fretting, maybe even panicked, over some of the dangers on the way to Zion. Then in verses 5 and 6, the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Elsewhere in Isaiah, blindness is primarily a spiritual disease. We see that in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is called uh, and the people's ears are, are hardened, their hearts are hardened, they don't listen. We see it again, for instance, in Isaiah 43 and verse 8. The Lord says, Bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes, and the deaf, even though they have ears. So the Lord heals the blind and the death both physically and spiritually. And of course Jesus provided both kinds of healing when he cured all who came to him. Maybe you remember that after Herod threw John the Baptist into prison John began to have some questions and some doubts. Jesus wasn't the kind of Messiah that he had anticipated perhaps. Or maybe he was just uh, responding to the questions that his own disciples had. At any rate, he sent two of his disciples to Jesus for reassurance. And Jesus pointed John to two prophecies, one from Isaiah 35, about the blind being healed, and another from Isaiah 61, about the poor hearing the gospel. Luke 7, 21. At that very time he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense in me. So Jesus very carefully connected his healing ministry with the preaching of the gospel. He healed physical diseases in conjunction with preaching the the good news of the kingdom of God. And many of his miracles have very specific lessons attached. You may remember that in John 9 when Jesus healed a blind man, he said, I am the light of the world, and then he accused the Pharisees of being blind, the religious leaders. So Jesus is a holistic healer for all who come to him. Sometimes he heals physical diseases, and he will heal all physical diseases when we see him face to face and when he comes again. Our elders, uh, as elders, we are often privileged to have people ask For anointing with oil. And we do that. And we pray for them. And sometimes God grants healing. Eventually all the ills of the body will be healed. And all the ills of the soul will be healed. But even here and now. He offers substantial healing. Not perfect healing. But substantial healing. For all the ills of the heart and soul and mind and spirit. Are you sick at heart or weary of soul this morning? Have you perhaps been mangled by the rock crusher of life? Have other Christians let you down? Perhaps the pandemic has gotten you, as uh, Pastor Cam suggested, just overwhelmed. Come to Jesus for the healing you need, not just once, but come often. In fact, you can pick out some of the things from this chapter to help you guide your prayers. As you think of verse 3, the exhausted and the feeble, you might say, Lord Jesus, I'm so tired physically, emotionally, spiritually, I can't even lift up my hands to help myself, I can't stand much less walk. Please touch me as you touched the lane so long long ago. Or maybe you can't see where to go and you can Think of him healing the blind and you can say, Lord Jesus, I cannot see where to go. Open my eyes, first of all, to see your glory and then to see my way. Or maybe you think of his healing the deaf and you say, Lord Jesus, I cannot hear your voice. My ears are closed to you, but they're open to the noise of the world. I hear the devil whispering to my soul I hear the tempter saying, you know you're going to give in sometime anyway, why bother resisting anymore? Please open my ears to hear your voice above all of those others that are shouting at me. A few minutes ago I sang that chorus, we're marching to Zion. You may feel this morning as if you cannot pick up one foot and place it down in front of another. You have the same picture, by the way, in Hebrews chapter 12 because in the first couple of verses we're exhorted to run with patience the race that is set before us. And then later on in the same chapter he talks about limbs that are lame, that are out of joint. And and, and how can you run if you're lame and limping? And then he goes on to talk about that heavenly Zion later in the chapter. Uh, I, I think that The author of Hebrews may have had this very text in mind. So the Lord Jesus, if you come to him on your pathway to the heavenly Zion, he will give you strength for the road. And if you cannot march and sing just now, he'll help you at least to crawl. You'll get there. There's strong consolation in this passage. Take courage. You have a holistic healer. You have a happy hope. Hope in the Bible is a much stronger word than in normal speech. We say, will it rain tomorrow? Well, I hope so because the corn is getting pretty dry. I've lived in farming country a good bit of my life. Or... uh, Uh, Are are you ready for your English exam? Are you going to do well? Well, I hope so, but, you know, I haven't studied very much. That is a vain, vague, fruitless hope. (laughs) Yeah, hi, guys. (laughs) Oh, boy. But hope in the Bible is a confident expectation of good. A confident expectation of good. And the hope that this message provides is that God will turn your desert into a garden. Uh, That's your confident, your blessed expectation. Uh, Verses one and two of our chapter. The wilderness and the desert will be glad and the Araba will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God." Wilderness and desert are general words for wastelands. Uh, The Arabah, sometimes translated wilderness or desert, is actually the barren wasteland south of the Dead Sea. When the Lord returns to set up his kingdom, he will transform those barren lands and make them fertile. Now, in a larger sense, this is what God does in our lives when he enters through faith in Jesus Christ. He turns our deserts into gardens. Now, in a dry land such as Palestine, water is absolutely necessary necessary in order to make the desert bloom. And so, verse 3, 6 and 7, the last part of verse 6, For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. Um, In Isaiah, this life-giving water is associated with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 44 and verse 3. For I will pour out water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Uh, Here, as in other places in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is associated with the outpouring of water, bringing refreshment, living water, bringing fruitfulness. And so Jesus must have had some of these passages in mind when he said in John 7, 37 through 39, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So as you walk toward Zion and think of turning a desert into a garden, What can you expect the Spirit of Christ to do in your life? The Spirit will begin to make your life beautiful, that's the first thing. The King James Version in verse 1 says that the desert will blossom like a rose. Modern versions use the word crocus instead. Those little flowers that are the first messengers of spring that poke their heads above the ground when it's still cold. Um, I, I grew up in Southern California and from time to time we camped in the Mojave Desert. Uh, Usually when we were there it was dry and, and barren and the vegetation was just scraggly kind of grayish, greenish, brown things. But if you get there at just the right time after a rain and if it hasn't been too hot and hasn't been too cold the desert can in just a day or two turn into a a carpet of flowers and that's what he's talking about here when the rain of the spirit penetrates the dry ground it turns into something beautiful. You see all of us have parts in our lives that are ugly, things that we don't want other people to see. Uh, we, want other, we, don't, we want other people to know us uh, superficially at any rate and to accept us And if they could see deep down inside of us, they wouldn't like us. We're sure of that. We want to be attractive. We want to be beautiful people. But not beautiful people like those in Hollywood. Only God can turn our deserts into a carpet of flowers. As you walk with Christ on the highway to Zion, that is what his spirit is beginning to do. And what is that beauty? It's the beauty of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ that he begins to reproduce in us. It's the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. As you walk toward that heavenly Zion, God will not only begin to make your life beautiful, but the spirit will also make your life fruitful. Not only the fruit of the Spirit is in in the sense of an inward thing, but also outwardly. Our text speaks of Lebanon and Mount Carmel, at the foot of which lay the plain of Sharon. Lebanon was famed for its vast cedar forests and other magnificent trees. The plain of Sharon was renowned for its fertile fields. So the Lord is saying, I will make your deserts not only beautiful, but I will turn them into places of great fruitfulness. Normal people want their lives to count for something. You do, I'm sure. Normal people want to be fruitful, and in the natural realm there are certain things that we do. Uh, We can produce and raise children and then perhaps grandchildren and that can be very pleasing and satisfying. If we're fortunate we may find our jobs interesting and fulfilling because we're we're producing something. Many people enjoy crafts because they can look at what their hands have made and feel productive and fruitful. And when we are fruitful in any of these natural ways, we ought to give God thanks. Every good thing comes from Him. But God wants to make us spiritually fruitful too. He may make our prayers fruitful as we beg for the conversion of the lost. He may make us fruitful spiritually in the lives of our children or grandchildren or children that some of you teach here At Alliance. Um, He may make us fruitful as we give to missions and missionaries are able to preach the gospel and people are one to Jesus Christ. God wants to make you fruitful as an individual but I I think we often place too much emphasis on the individual because the Christian life is not a a solitary sport like golf it's a team sport like uh, basketball or football. Not everybody uh, is the quarterback, not everybody can shoot a basket from halfway down the court, but every member of the team is important. And you may look at your life and say, well, I just do this little thing, you know, I just do this little thing here at Alliance, and I do a little thing maybe at my work, and, and it's not that much. Yes, but God is working through all the little things to do a very, very big thing. And I just have been amazed at what God is doing here through Alliance and through all the little things that all of us do, no matter what they may be. Praise God for that. But as you begin to see that God is making you a little bit fruitful and bringing fruitfulness to the church of which you're a part, give him praise because that's the work of the Spirit in turning what could be a desert into a fruitful plain. So on your pathway to Zion it may seem sometimes like a desert but this passage offers strong consolation and you ought to take courage because you have a holistic healer, you have a happy hope, you have a holy highway to walk upon. Isaiah 35 8 and 9 and a highway will be there. That's a highway through the desert. A highway will be there, a roadway. It will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. Now in the first place, this prophecy seems to be speaking about the scattered Jews returning to their homeland. But then they were scattered again after AD 70 when the Romans destroyed the city and their temple. And uh, they have been slowly regathering to the nation of Israel ever since 1948 when uh, the state of Israel, the modern state, was created. But they have not returned with everlasting joy upon their heads. Sorrow and sighing have not fled away. To the contrary, modern Israel has been in continuous conflict for its very survival. So that return is still future for Israel. But you who believe in Jesus Christ are on the holy highway to the heavenly Zion right now. Jesus spoke about the straight and narrow way that you have to walk on. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the other Old Testament heroes of the faith were pilgrims on their way to a heavenly city. And so are we. On this highway, there are no rebellious fools. No fools on the highway. Now, some have suggested that no fools will wander on it means that there are guards on the edge of the highway so that fools won't fall off. But this word for fools is never used in the sense of a, just a simple person. It's always used in the scripture with a very negative connotation. It means a rebellious fool. He's foolish because he rebels against the Lord. And so what it's saying is that no rebellious fools will be allowed on this highway. No thing, nothing that is unclean. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if there were no fools on the highways in America? <laughs> you, may, you may have run across one or two of them this week. You know, I'm just saying. Uh, there must be millions of them on our roads. Many people pretend to be on the highway to heaven, but they're not. How many of you have read John Bunyan's Allegory, Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, the rest of you should, all right? Uh, when Pastor, uh, Pastor Josh read it a couple of years ago, he was just blown away by the tremendous truths that, uh, that it embodies. You can get a modern English version. I think that's cheating, but you can get one of those. Um, or you can read it in King James English. Uh, but uh, the, the story is this. Uh, P- Pilgrim, uh, Christian, leaves the city of destruction and he eventually passes through the the narrow wicket gate and he comes to the cross and there his burden falls off. But it's, it's a pathway that he must traverse, a long pathway until he comes to the heavenly city. And he has a great many adventures along the way. But there are people who get onto the highway for a little while. Some of them climb over the hedge to get there. And they think that they are pilgrims, Christians, just like Christian is. But they're not. And so too, there are many that attend church who are not on the highway to heaven. There are many who say they don't need church because they can worship God on their own. There are people who say that all roads lead to heaven. These are the fools that will not be on the highway no fool will walk on it." You know, Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them, well you know, he was a clunker. We cannot expect, I do not expect whenever I preach that everyone in front of me is a Christian. On the one hand, when I talk to you I just assume that you are, but in the mass I assume that there are those here who are not on the highway to heaven. If you will not come by the foot of the cross and have the Lord Jesus take away your burden of sin, then you are a fool. You are a fool. You will not be on this highway. And I implore you to turn to Christ today and come to him. But not only this, there are no fools on the highway. There are no raging lions. In ancient times, Times wild animals were often a threat to travelers. Lions and bears and wolves were common in the uninhabited wilderness areas. So an absence of lions on the holy highway was an encouraging promise. The Bible often compares the devil to a wild beast, sometimes a wolf, sometimes a lion, sometimes a dragon or another monster. If you belong to Christ, the devil can growl and threaten you from the sidelines but he cannot get up on the road to drag you off and gobble you up. He is seeking to devour anyone he can, and the Lord allows the devil to grab the rebellious fools who pretend to travel on the road to Zion, but he will not allow him to snatch any of you away. What can the devil do? Well, he can frighten you, he can discourage you, He can fill you with doubts and despair so that you wonder if you'll ever be able to hold on to the end. When he does that, what must you do? You must humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You must not try to fight the devil in your own strength, but you must cast yourself on the unfailing promises of God and plead for the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that if we as parents know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you belong to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you can ask for more of his filling, and God will give it to you. When you are tempted, when you are despairing, when you are really down, you can come and say, Father, I don't know if what's churning up inside of me is from within me. I don't know if it's the devil pressuring me from without, but I don't have to figure that out. Please cleanse me by the blood of Jesus and fill me with your spirit so that I can face this, and God will answer you. If your pathway to Zion seems like a desert, we have strong consolation in this passage, and you should take courage Because you have at the end of the road a heavenly home. A heavenly home. Isaiah 35 and verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. With everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Sorrow has not yet departed from the human life. Revelation 20 tells us that in the New Jerusalem, God will wipe away every tear from the eyes of his people. Then you who believe in Jesus Christ will have joy instead of sorrow. How will God take away your sorrow? Some of you have loved ones, a mother, a child, a grandchild who is not yet saved. Before I talk about God taking away our sorrow, What I want to do is to encourage you to keep praying for that loved one. Pray, yes, weep, don't give up. In my church in Libby, Montana, there was a couple that showed up just out of nowhere. They just walked in. And as I got to know them, I said, uh, "You know, uh, how did you find church, why did you come to church? He said, well, um, my mother was a Christian and she prayed for me to be converted all her life She died recently, and I thought, well, my mother prayed for me, I guess I should go to church. So he did. I visited them several times in their uh, home and and tried to explain the gospel. I, I know lots of different illustrations and ways of presenting the gospel. I tried them all, and they kind of looked at me like I was from Mars or something. Finally, I came one day to their house and began to give them another spiel. They said, oh, last time you were here, after you left, we figured out what you were saying and we received Christ. I thought, they could have told me. (laughs) Don't give up. Pray, pray, pray. But some of you have lost loved ones that gave no indication that they had ever received Christ. How will God take care of your sorrow? Sorrow will flee away, not because God will distract you. If you have a tearful child, you can sometimes stop his crying by distracting him. You get him interested in something else, or you promise him a treat. You may say, I know you're unhappy because your cousin broke your train. I had cousins like that. Maybe Daddy can fix it when he comes home. Why don't you go out? Let's go out for an ice cream cone. Would you like that? And even if Daddy can't fix the train, Mama hopes that the distraction on the way to Dairy Queen, or whatever you've got here, uh, will uh, he'll forget about the train. I don't believe that God will throw one big eternal distracting party in order to push our sorrows out of our minds. God is the God of truth. He doesn't just pretend to fix problems. He's not a con artist. He doesn't play bait and switch. He's in the healing business. And the Bible points in another direction entirely. Sorrows will flee away, not because of a distraction, but because God himself will fulfill you. God is our good. The Bible constantly tells us that the Lord himself is our good. God is our joy. God is our happiness. God is our beauty. There is no goodness. There is no truth. There is no beauty in all the world apart from him. Every bit of goodness, truth, and beauty that we experience is a little bit of a reflection from its original. We love our unsaved friends and family now. But when they are parted from God forever, having rejected His goodness, truth, and beauty, they will not have anything goodness, true, and beautiful about them. All that will be left will be ugliness, lies, and distortion. They will no longer be attractive. But all of the lovable characteristics of your friends and family will not be lost. Since they came from God in the first place, we will see those qualities again in the face of Jesus Christ. The smile of your friend, the laugh of your next door neighbor, the kindness of your aunt, they will all be present. Nothing good can be lost. They will all be present in the Lord who created them in the first place. And all the longings of your soul will be fulfilled by the presence of the Lord himself. He will not offer himself as a substitute for your lost loved one. His loveliness is the great original, and your earthly loved one was only a pale reflection of him. And in him, you will be fully satisfied now, yes, weep. Now, yes, be sorrowful. Now, yes, pray. But trust God that he will be everything that you have lost and more. Perhaps this morning you're marching happily towards Zion. The sun is bright. The smile of your Heavenly Father is clear. Your heart is happy in Jesus. Praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. There ought to be times like that in your life. But perhaps you're on the highway to the heavenly Zion and you are dragging, you're just plodding along. Lift up your heads your redemption draweth nigh. If you are weak, Jesus is strong. If your way seems dark, Jesus is the light of the world. If the devil is raging and roaring at you, what of it? He cannot have you. If you cannot drag yourself to the doctor, Jesus is a healer who comes to you. And he will make you well enough, not perfectly well, but well enough to travel as far as you need to go. Perhaps you're not on the road at all. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God offers you eternal life. He offers you forgiveness of sins. He offers you the eternal enjoyment of his presence. And if you reject that, you are indeed a fool and there will be no fools on that highway. I urge you, repent of your sins, come to Jesus, and he will save you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is a path laid before us to the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the Zion that is above. And I pray, first of all, for those who are heavy laden and burdened, that you will bring them back afresh to Christ and find their rest in Him. I pray for those who have not yet come to know Jesus as Savior, that you will turn their hearts by your Holy Spirit and enable them to come and say yes, yes to Jesus. That they will trust in him and him alone and find in him all that they need for life now and for eternal life hereafter. It's in his name we pray. Amen.